It's so good to welcome you back for today's episode. I am really happy to bring to you my guest, David Spangler. David Spangler is a spiritual explorer, teacher, writer, husband, and father. While studying at Arizona State University to become a molecular biologist, a childhood contact with subtle worlds blossomed into a collaborative relationship with inner beings, which resulted in his leaving the university in 1965 at the age of 20. He began his career as a teacher and explorer of subtle and spiritual realms that he still pursues today, over 50 years later. He was a co-director of the Finhorn Foundation community in northern Scotland from 1970 to 1973, a Lindisfarne fellow, and in 1974 he became a founder of the Lorien Association. His work with both his non-physical colleagues and his Lorien associates has led to the development of incarnational spirituality. He is the author of over 30 books, including Journey Into Fire, Apprentice to Spirit, and Working with Subtle Energies, as well as four anthologies of short stories. He writes a free monthly email essay called David's Desk. Information about David's Desk, online courses, books, and workshops can be found at www.lorian.org. Living in the Pacific Northwest, he is happily married to his wife, Julia, and together they have four adult children and two grandchildren. I am so excited to welcome him to Elemental Whispers podcast, and I can't wait for you to experience the beautiful conversation that we had about his journey of working with the subtle realms. I asked him what it was like to have that experience as a child of being aware of the energies and subtle realms and even beings. We get a chance to discuss our different ways of experiencing fairy and the many, many, many different bands and nuanced energies within the subtle realm expression or ecosystem of this planetary body. Some of the ways in which we experience these energies are so very similar and some are very distinct and unique. And I can't wait to share all of this with you. David shares so many beautiful, fascinating, and extremely detailed and descriptive stories of his experience of working with these energies and these beings. And finally, we end up talking about our connection to the mountains, as well as New Avalon and David shares a very, very beautiful and significant puzzle piece to the story of New Avalon that drops in for him in real time as we're speaking. It was a beautiful conversation. I'm so grateful for our time together, and I hope you all experience the magic David's compassionate and kind heart comes through throughout the entire conversation. I just know you're going to love him and all that he shares. 
Hello, David. Welcome to Elemental Whispers podcast. I am really, really happy that you are here with me, with us, and very much looking forward to our conversation today. Me too, Diomira. Thank you so much for having me on board with you. I want to begin for everyone who does not know you or has never read any of your books. I would love to begin with whatever you want to share that is most present and alive for you about your journey and and how it brought you to this moment right now. Well, I've I've always been aware of the non-physical dimensions, what I call the subtle worlds. Uh, my earliest memories as a child are, are of that and of being aware of energy fields around things and occasionally uh, the, the odd being or two that, that I would become aware of. So that's, uh, that was part of the background of my life. And I just assumed that it was a common experience uh, that everyone had. Um, and, and it wasn't really until I was a teenager and my parents uh, became part of a metaphysical group that I realized that this wasn't so, that, that not everyone had these same experiences. And I, uh, that, that uh, led me to putting more attention on the experiences themselves. And by that time, I was getting ready to go off to university. And uh, a friend of ours asked me, what do you intend to do what what is what are you going to study when you're at university and i was about to tell her that i was going to study uh, biology and uh, I, I had interest in becoming a molecular biologist and and instead i i had a vision and this uh this the vision itself was of a uh, like a department store mannequin but translucent. It was a, a non-gendered uh, human form, uh, translucent, glowing with light. And, and I became aware of a being standing behind me saying um, that there is the, e emerging a, a spirituality based around the sacredness of incarnation. And that will be your life's work to work with that spirituality. And, and, and at the time I thought, well, that, that was nice, <laughs> but that's something that I'll do maybe when I'm in my 50s and you know, in my 60s, whatever, and I've had the career as a molecular biologist because I was really interested in doing uh, research. Um, but when I went to college, I discovered that the, the actual process of studying science and and higher forms of mathematics you know calculus and whatnot um, it actually uh, triggered um, something in my own mind that that clarified my contact with the subtle worlds it, it there was so much abstract thinking involved in the courses that I was taking and it just developed that side of my awareness and I found myself in in increasing contact 
with the subtle worlds and with particular um, individuals who were uh, companions, really, colleagues. Um, and so about three quarters of the way through my college career, when I was a junior, one of them said, it's time for you to start that work we told you about. And, uh, and I said, you're kidding, you know, uh, I wasn't really, this, this was not a thrilling proclamation. I, I was doing well in college and I, and it was the height of the Vietnam War and I had a couple of scholarships. I had a student's deferment and, and I thought, um, do I want to give all those things up? and go off and become an itinerant, I, I didn't know what, a free, I called myself a freelance mystic. But, um, but it, just the pressure to do that coming from within myself, there was never any pressure put on me from the subtle worlds, uh, but the pressure from my own soul coming from within grew until finally I had to say, yes, this is what I need to do. And, uh, Synchronistically, at that time, a, a friend of ours, like of our family, uh, who was a, a fairly well-known psychic at the time, uh, put on a, a conference in Phoenix, which was where I was living, and invited me to be the, the keynote speaker at this conference, which was, the conference was called um, Youth and the New Age, and I was the youth. <laughs> Because uh, everybody else in the conference was in their 30s or 40s or, you know, an older, and, and I was 20. And I, so I was the, well, actually I was 19 at that point. I was the designated youth. So I gave this talk. And out of the talk, I received invitations to come to Los Angeles and, and give other talks. So when I said, finally said yes to leaving university, I also said yes to one of these invitations and went off to LA. And as they say, the rest was his history uh, because one thing led to another and I went, came into this work of, of sharing my experiences really and my insights arising out of those experiences uh, that, that I've had with the subtle dimensions and with the spiritual worlds. And that's led me in a variety of, of ways. Uh, in 1970, I ended up as a co-director of the uh, Finhorn Foundation community in Scotland. I'd, I'd gone over there on a visit only to discover that they'd been waiting for me to come. And Eileen, had, Eileen, one of the founders of the community, had had a vision three years earlier that I would be coming. And I had no knowledge of this. But when I showed up, uh, Peter Caddy, her husband, said, well, we've been waiting for you. And we'd like you to be a co-director of the community with me. And, and I, had, I had been told by my inner colleagues that my next cycle of work would be in in Europe, but I didn't know where. So when I arrived at Finhorn and Peter shared this with me, I knew this was where I was supposed to be. So I spent three years at Finhorn as a co-director and, and initiating their educational programs. And that was where 
I I met my wife Julia, and also uh, I met a number of, of other uh, individuals. We all recognized each other as as working together, as being a uh, uh, having uh, deep links, and so in '73 we all came back to the states together and formed the Lorian Association, uh, and. And, and that's what I've been working with um, ever since. And for a number of years, it was working with the idea of what exactly is the, uh, the emergence that's taking place in our world at this time? What is this thing we're calling the new age? But in, in the late 90s, uh, this shifted for me and I began working more with just what I'd been told I would work with in that vision when I was 17, which was the sacredness of the uh, individual and the sacredness of incarnation. And that, be, that was uh, really the beginning of what I call incarnational spirituality. And that's what I've worked with for the past 20 years. Most of our classes and books and so on that I've written have dealt with incarnational spirituality. So there's a there's my whole life summed up. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. And I just want to put a little, um, not a side note, but I want to let those who are listening to this now know that if you want an even more in-depth, um, yeah, inroad into his life, he has written a beautiful memoir called Apprentice to Spirit. Is that the yeah, correct title? That's correct. It's a really, really, really beautiful uh, book. And it was the first book I read of David's and it's so authentic and so honest and yet gives so much um, detail in the way that so many don't. I always think that so many of us, when we get deep into the spiritual work, we often forget what it was like at the beginning or in different places and so we kind of speak sometimes from over here instead of going into what somebody that is in a different place might be curious about and ask so exactly yeah so speaking of those exact kinds of questions i want to backtrack into a couple of areas that you spoke about and i want to ask you some questions there's like five of them coming to okay. my mind. <laughs> so I'll just do it in order. So at the very beginning, you mentioned how as a child, you were open, you were perceiving energy fields and the occasional being. And you didn't see this as, well, you didn't realize that this wasn't just the norm, that everybody wasn't interacting and experiencing like that. Um, I have a couple of questions about that first from the perspective of who you are now when you look back at that early child those early childhood years would you have said about yourself that you were you experienced yourself as highly sensitive like did you feel bombarded by energies and that sort of thing. What were the, do you know what I'm trying to ask? I think so many people nowadays kind of say that, oh, I, I feel too much. I see too much and they shut it down. And so I'm just curious how that was for you and why do you think you didn't shut it down? So that's a really good question. 
um, and and looking back, there were occasions when I felt the impact of the energy of from a person or a place that I, we might have gone, but um, but I would not have said that I was an overly sensitive person. I um, I was actually <laughs> this is sort of paradoxical, but as a child, I was fairly grounded, even though I, in some other ways, I wasn't. You know, there's sort of an interesting <laughs> paradox here. Uh, compared to a lot of my friends and playmates and other children my age, uh, I probably was not as grounded as they were. Um, but being open to subtle energies, it just it just seemed natural. Actually, I it didn't um, it wasn't a problem. I didn't feel bombarded. You know, there were they say there were occasions when I might feel that way, but it wasn't a consistent thing. And I think some of that, Diomara, uh, is just that because I I took it for granted because if this was just part of my life, I didn't always pay a lot of attention to it. I paid more attention to what was going on around me. Uh, and it's also true that when I was six, uh, we moved to Morocco. Uh, my dad was, was in the military and, uh, and he was assigned to a base in Morocco, to Nusur, which was just, uh, just about 20 miles from Casablanca. This was a you know, fantastic new country, and Morocco is an exciting. Um, it's an exciting place, and to a, a kid, it's it's kind of a, a world of imagination because you can be out driving, and suddenly you'll come upon uh, Roman ruins from you know a thousand, two thousand years ago, and the country is just filled with not only natural beauty, but a lot of history. And so I was just excited in what I was discovering on the physical level. And as a consequence, I wasn't always paying that much attention to what I was experiencing in a subtle way. That makes complete sense. And I know exactly what you mean by being actually very grounded, even though it, it, it went the way that you describe it to me, it has an integrated quality to it, where it was just this integrated exactly. part of your life. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other thing that you said that I found so beautifully descriptive was the way that you described you, you, you know, you received that information that you were going to be working in a specific way. And you're like, no, I'm doing this molecular biology degree right now. I've, right. I've got this right. And then you said, but at some point, the pressure became too great. And you made a really interesting uh, distinction. You said that it wasn't pressure from the subtle realms. It was pressure from your own soul. And I want to ask you, how did you know that at the time? And the reason I'm asking is because I think 
I think there's this interesting thing that I sometimes see in the spiritual community that I I think is important to clarify is that yeah, I just see a lot of people there's this giving our power away to um to the spirit realm as if they're not it we're not in our own sovereignty, but there's this energy of like oh, spirit told me to do it kind of thing. Um and and so the but the way that you made that distinction like well this is almost like a a pressure from the outside in and yeah, the spirit world was mirroring maybe that and supporting that inner pressure but could you just talk a little bit about that how you knew it was your soul versus the spirit world having you know you were feeling that pressure from sure surely so uh, as you may remember from reading apprentice of spirit when i was uh, seven and again living in morocco i had this experience of uh, literally being lifted out of my body and and having this journey into um on the one hand moving into an awareness of my soul of, of remembering who i was prior to this life uh, as a soul um, and then remembering and recapitulating my incarnational process the process of becoming uh, david spangler so i had this uh from that point on, I had this awareness. Uh, it was like living a kind of a split level life in a way. Again, it seemed very normal to me, even though I didn't really have the words as a seven or eight year old to describe it to somebody else. But it seemed normal to me that there was part of me that was dealing with the normal everyday stuff. And there was another part of me that was observing all this from a very different dimension and biding its time, really. Um, and I was, there was really never a time that I was not aware of it. Uh, and it was always this, a, a presence of love and a presence of, you know, um, I'm here. Uh, and when the time's right, um, then we're going to do things. <laughs> so, I rather suspect that the uh, vision I had when I was 17 uh, came from that source. Um, but when I was in college, as I said, the, the studying I was doing um, really heightened my use of, of my abstract mind. And that had a kind of meditative effect for me uh, in that it, it, it strengthened and clarified the links I had both with the subtle world, but also with my own, uh, with my own soul. In, you know, I, um, in a peculiar way, I, I thought myself into that connection. It was through thinking more than through a heart process. The heart process was really already there, but in some way I thought myself into a deeper connection. Um, Steiner writes about that uh, I'm, as well, though I would be hard pressed to give you the reference where I read it, it's been a lot of years. Um, but when this pressure started, it was really obvious to me that it was coming from that other level of myself from that what I what I 
thought of as my higher level, um, the second story, so to speak. <laughs> and it was saying, <laughs> now's the time. Now this is this has to happen. And as you said, um, my subtle colleagues were mirroring that, uh, saying, "Yes, this is this is what is happening." But they weren't ever putting any pressure on. I've never, in all the seventy years plus, nearly eighty years now, that I've had contact with the subtle worlds, I've never uh, had pressure put on from that level or anything that says you have to obey this or. You know, if, if, if somebody from the inner world said, David, this is what you have to do, I would be really suspicious of that. Yes. <laughs> um, because I do place such a high level of importance on sovereignty and on our ability to stand in the sanctity and the integrated wholeness of our own being. Which is not to say that that our subtle colleagues and allies can't give advice or can't say, you know, have you thought about this or this is what's happening in your life or be aware of, but still the ultimate decisions have to come from us and we need to take accountability for them. So, you know, looking back and, and at other times in my life when this has happened, it really was a sense that I, I have no choice but to take this path, whatever, that might have be in that moment because it's who I am. And to deny it would be to deny myself. It's, it's, it's just, this is, this is what I need to do to be more of who I am and to have a path of growth and, and uh, development. Did you ever find yourself kicking and screaming or in resistance? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was in resistance then in college I I really enjoyed college. I mean, I <laughs> I have the kind of mind. I'm a very academic kind of mind, and I the college environment. I thrived in it, you know, um, and well, <laughs> so so I basically was making straight A's in my classes. I just I just loved it, um, and like I said. Uh, most a lot of young men my age were being called up in the draft to go to Vietnam, and uh, while I wasn't particularly af afraid of that, I recognized that I was in a, a protected place by having a student deferment, and I had these scholarships. I mean, everything was really laid on to keep me in college. My dad, who was also uh, something of an academic. Um, he had never been able to finish college because of issues coming out of the depression and whatnot. And for him getting a college degree, for me to get a college degree was, you know, <laughs> this was his dream. This was what I had to do. And I, so part of me wanted to please my dad. Um, so there were a lot of factors saying to me at a personality level, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to give all this up and just and and, and go do I I didn't know what. Um, it was a totally unknown future or path. Um, so I did resist, and then one morning, I woke up, and it was like somebody had turned my mind off. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So I went to my classes and I'd come out of the class and I had no sense of what the teacher had said. I just couldn't remember it. Didn't, didn't lodge in my mind. I'd read a textbook, close the covers, and I'd have no sense of what I'd read. And I started failing in all my classes. I, I'd take a test and I, it might as well have been gibberish. And so then I said, all right. <laughs> you know, um, I get the point. And and when I agreed to 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 leave to go to Los Angeles, accept this invitation I'd had to come and give some lectures, it was like all that left, all that I got swished on again in a way. <laughs> but I never felt that that happened from exterior sources. I just felt there was part of me that that said, this is what you have to do. And, you know, I have a friend who has known for some time that she wanted to move out of uh, the work she was in and take up a different career. And she suddenly, but she kept, you know, not exactly resisting, but delaying, you know, putting it off. And she suddenly got really sick, which has forced her <laughs> to make that shift. And having made that decision, things are looking up for her. I mean, and it's, it's not an uncommon experience that people have, but I don't see that as something imposed from outside. That's something that when we're moving against our own grain, that that part of us that knows where we should do, where we should go, what we should do, uh, it pushes back. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for speaking. in such detail and so clearly to that process and what that was like for you. I, I just want to honor your courage <laughs> for, for saying yes, oh. eventually, because that led you to obviously where you are today and what you do and how you serve in today's world. So I really appreciate that. And I also really appreciate, yeah, you giving I don't think that detail was in your book about how you, I don't, well, I don't remember. It's been a long time, but how you started, you know, not processing the information and how that shifted for you. I can really relate to ways that I've shifted and how things just stopped working for me when, um, when they needed to. And I also see that as a, something coming from within my own soul, not from any of my uh, not from spirit, not from my allies, not from anything like that. So thank you. It, it is so important because I feel we're called to partnership with the spirit world as equal colleagues, really. Uh, they have something to offer. We have something to offer. And, and that, that gets away from these relationships of dependency and relationships of uh, well, really, the power relationships uh, where one side is dominant and the other side is submissive. And that's, that doesn't make for good partnerships. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, I've, I've found so much that this is just a slide tangent, but um, I found so much that oftentimes if we have any kind of, uh, I don't know, um, I'm going to say personality issues, wounding, um, any kind of internal sort of shadow dynamics. I've often seen those 
sort of uh, superimposed on our work with spirit, or it's like the filter through which we see all of life, whether it's spirit or the person in front of us. And so I can't tell you how many times I, and then I've also invited clients to continue to go back to, okay, let's clear this as much as possible. Let's resolve and integrate some of these pieces so that we're not projecting these um, sometimes unhealthy patterns out on our work with spirit. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, that's really important. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, so I, like, I'm, I'm so excited to, I want to talk about fairy. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) No sense of dancing about it. So what I am very um, aware of and interested in this difference between you and me, um, I'm certain, well, I don't know how much you know about my work, but I know about your work to some degree. I've read not just that book, but your other two books as well, and have had the um, wonderful opportunity to meet some of your colleagues at Fairy Congress and whatnot. And so what I have found very fascinating is that from the time you were young, you have had this very um, deep and integrated connection with spirit and by extension uh, energy and also and please correct me if I say anything that does not feel right or does not does not you know speak to how you would identify but um, connection or awareness of the subtle realms and in particular uh, spirit beings who were perhaps maybe at some point human embodied humans and yet are not anymore and and then it wasn't until much later well of course your work with finhorn put you into that nature frequency where you were definitely interacting with subtle beings that were connected i would say to the the natural realm the nature spirits the devas that sort of thing but you it wasn't until much later that you began to become really aware and engage with the realm of the she. And I know you've made some distinction between fairy. I tend not to for one reason or another, but so I just will clarify for everyone. So um, the she are usually who I just usually refer to as a blanket term as the fairy people. And I will say she and use that word interchangeably. Um, I believe that David, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Of course, you certainly see the nature spirits and that being one sort of level of consciousness but then you see the she is being this different level of expression uh and evolutionary consciousness and then you see there's like this middle band that i think maybe how i would refer to the little people or um maybe even how i would refer to yeah i would say the little people you consider that like the fairy folk is that how you see the difference that's a good description. Um, what I what I need to say about that is this is not a hard and fast taxonomy, but it, it, it rises up just really out of how I've experienced these things. And so some of this is my way of describing it. Um, and as I know you're aware, uh, the, the, the boundaries between things and in the in the non-physical universe is pretty tenuous you know things overlap a lot so i i I really try not to get too hung up on um 
names and semantics and distinctions, but the way that I under, have understood it, yes, you're quite right. I, up until I went to Finhorn, I basically had very little uh, contact with the nature realm. The, the beings I was working with were almost always uh, individuals who were on in the subtle worlds, but had been incarnate humans at one time or another. But I was aware of uh, the energy fields that places would give off, uh, buildings in particular. I've always, I've always been uh, more sensitive to the human, human vibration, human energies, than I have been to the non-human ones. So um, it's been easier for me, for example, to pick up on the energy coming off a building than coming off a tree. <laughs> But, but when I went to Finhorn, that started to change because of their emphasis on working with the devas and with the nature spirits. And, you know, it was just, uh, it wasn't that, it certainly was not that I didn't feel that these existed. I knew they existed. I just had not had much experience in contacting with them. And so that experience began at Finhorn for me. And I then it began to expand over the years. But I had friends who were working with the fairy world and with the she. And I, I, <laughs> I didn't really think a whole lot about it, to tell you the truth. And then one day, my, my friend John Matthews was writing a book about the she and got in touch with me and said, you know, David, what do you know about the she? Which, and I said, not much at all. And he said, well, if I were to ask questions, he was, he was looking for some questions to ask of this she being who had contacted him. And I said, well, um, here's some questions I would have. And so that ended up in his book, The She, which is an absolutely marvelous book. But then um, he, the she asked him to do a card deck of the she and at the time he did not have the bandwidth to do it he was too busy and he said well i i you know i can't really do this right now the next thing i knew um i had this experience where this being came and appeared in my living room and introduced herself as one of the she and said um i have a i have the plans for a card deck if you would like to do this with us. And I, I said, sure. <laughs> so that began my relationship with the she. Now, it began my relationship with a group of beings who identified as being she, and who said uh, that they were part of a planet-wide uh, species, really, that were not subtle beings, but were incarnated the same as you or I are, but in a different frequency. Um, and that, that was an important distinction. And, and that's how I experienced her. I, I called her, well, uh, the way I, the, I called her Mariel. That was the best I could approximate in English to what I experienced as her name. Um, 
and with and the vibration I felt with her, her energy and, and others who accompanied her was very different from what I experienced with subtle beings or with nature spirits, for example. So I attributed part of that difference to the fact that, that they were in their own way incarnated the same as I am, but again, on a different frequency of matter, a different, uh, it's hard to know exactly how to explain it, but a different parallel aspect of matter. And then she went on to say that they were an aspect of humanity that at one time, uh, and this, this I'd actually known for many years that what we call humanity had been invited as a, as a field of consciousness millions of years ago to take part in the evolution of this planet and I just, I just call that cosmic humanity uh, came to this world as a, as a spiritual force, you know, not in flying saucers or something like that. And she said, we represent that part of, of humanity that did not enter fully into physical incarnation for a variety of reasons. Uh, and, and, and they were our complements, they were, they were our, our cousins and so from her point of view, there were these two aspects to humanity, one that was uh, in full engagement with physical matter and all the lessons and qualities that come out of that and, and others who were not so deeply engaged but maintained a link with cosmic humanity, with its sources. And that we had come to a time in our history when these two had to come together, that they needed to cooperate and needed to um, blend their, their different wisdoms and capacities so that humanity could be whole again. So, so I saw the she then as really a, a, a different form of, of humanity that both the she and ourselves make up this larger whole that is uh, the field of human consciousness. But then she would talk about uh, the what she called the children of Gaia, which are beings that in a way are the true indigenous uh, beings of this world you know this is a this is not the best historical example but it's as if the children of Gaia the, the which are the, the fairy realms were like the Native Americans and humanity was like the European settlers <laughs> uh, and and the she have a really close relationship with them. And, and I think at times there is overlap where it's really hard to tell which is which and it probably doesn't make a lot of difference. But I've had very little contact <clears throat> personally with the fairy realms until very recently. It's just started to, it just started to open up for me. So in my own life and work, there's been this 
uh, arc of development, I guess you'd say, of moving from what was primarily working just with human energy and then with nature spirits and devas and then with the she and now starting to work with the with the fairy realms. Yeah, I find that so fascinating in, in so many ways. I've been almost the opposite of that journey where from, from a very young age, there was this uh, very deep and intrinsic connection with fairy. Um, and, and then over time, as I began my spiritual training and began just putting some more attention on my own spiritual path, what even though I trained in being able to have, you know, beautiful communications, mediumship communications with spirits, um, we would maybe call them earthbound spirits, and then not just earthbound spirits, but also spirits that were completely whole and healed and, you know, integrated and having that awareness as well and being able to communicate with them what I gravitated to and what gravitated to me, <laughs> or maybe both was fairy. And um, at the very beginning, I, I didn't differentiate. To me, it was all fairy. And there was these blurred lines. I, you know, I just kind of like you mentioned how it, as a child, you really didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. I didn't think about, am I talking to a being in this species or this? Sure. To me, it was all fairy. And and I was aware that there were very different beings within that band, but it was kind of like, okay, if somebody has a, a connection to animals, you know the difference between a zebra and a dog. You know that, but it's not it's not like a thing. It just is. And so that's how I was. I'm like, it's all fairy. They're just different species. And that's how I even saw even nature spirits. I saw nature spirits as part of that. And yet looking back, of course, they felt really different. And I think I attributed that difference to their consciousness, the way that their consciousness had developed and how maybe conscious they were. And it wasn't until much later that I actually realized I was in communion with two very different sets of beings. And on one level, I was in communion with, of course, nature spirits and devas. But that's not who I was working with. The way you describe your working relationship with your colleagues and allies, I was in working relationship with the fairy people or um, the, the she. And it, again, it wasn't until later on that I realized, oh wait, these are actually different beings. And, and that actually was a crisis in consciousness for me because then I kind of, I went into this doubt piece around, wait, well, how did I not, you know, who have I been talking to? And I thought they were fairy. And I had this moment of having to really integrate at that new level of consciousness for me. Um, and then of course, since then, it's just been this beautiful journey of this all-inclusive <laughs> experience where the most of my work focuses on working with the she. And yet, it, it's not specifically um, always related to that. I also work with, obviously, the, the spirits of nature. And there are so many times where I also am not clear, is this a really developed fairy being? Like a really developed sort of elemental being? Or is this a, a member of she? And oftentimes when I ask them, I don't get a clear answer because I almost feel like it's 
it's like we need to know, but sometimes it's besides the point. And um, especially if you're connecting on that deep heart level and that, and that soul communion, it really doesn't matter. So I was just struck by that that difference. And and yeah, I just wanted to speak to that for a moment. Well, I think that's wonderful. I And I really appreciate what you're saying. I, <laughs> I can identify with it. <laughs> and you know, I say that I'm just now starting to engage with what I would think of as the fairy world, but it would not surprise me to discover that in fact, I've had engagements with them in the past and just have not recognized that that's what it is. Um, it's, it's really one great ecosystem. Yes. And, the, and unlike a physical ecosystem where the boundaries, the physical boundaries are fairly evident, the energetic boundaries of the subtle ecosystem are not always so uh, hard and fast. You know, there's a lot of uh, bleed through from one side to another. Yes. So it's hard, really hard to say, what are you? Are you a, a nature spirit? Are you a fairy? Are you the way that I tend to distinguish is just in terms of function. Um, and and you, I find that I can detect a difference in what I think of as the energetic architecture of a being, how does energy flow through it? And what is it doing? Um, so if it has a certain relationship to, uh, say, a plant, then I think, oh, that's a nature spirit, because that's the nature of that relationship. But so there, there's a, a being that that shows up now and again, for me. Um, I, I basically I, I was just calling him Bob. Um, <laughs> and he first appeared as this kind of, as a actually a kind of traditional lepre leprechaun form or about although about four feet high but later one day I was out on my porch which overlooks the backyard and I saw him and he was he looked like a collection of twigs he looked like a being made out of twigs and and leaves and I thought okay that's that's this my friend, but it's it's his nature garb. Whereas when he comes into the house to talk to me, he's in this sort of human garb. And I've I've thought of him actually as a kind of uh, nature spirit who's sort of over overseeing what's going on in in our local ecosystem. But lately, I begin thinking, no, maybe he's actually a fairy being, and. <laughs> 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 it's very hard to, to know. It's and, very hard to know. And they don't seem to care as much as we do. Exactly. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, I don't know. So many times they're like, you humans, the things that you <laughs> are interested in is very interesting. <laughs> we, For us, we live in a world of that's much more definite and specific than they do. As boundaries are more meaningful to us. <laughs> yes. Um, so there was, I'm curious, you said that, obviously, this is a recent experience where fairy is coming more into your, you know, your field of awareness. And I'm wondering, do you associate it with um, having any connection to perhaps some sort of way that your work, a flavor that your work is going to um, evolve into kind of like the she added this other layer of your work, if you will. Do you? It's entirely possible. I really don't know at this point. Yeah. I'm 
just following it to see where it goes. But I'm certainly open to that possibility. Yeah. But it hasn't taken on enough of a definite form for me to to really give you a good answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that a lot. The um, I can feel so I'm just going to speak to this. I don't know why I'm bringing this in now, but I am looking outside my window. That's why if my eye level keeps going up and um, I don't know if you know, but we I was invited a number of years ago to anchor what I call um, yeah, the dream of New Avalon here in these lands and it it had to be a it was a co-creative process between the old avalonian dream but also the land here which is very much not connected to avalon Where and, are you Find me. oh yes i am in virginia near the shenandoah and those blue ridge mountains yeah it's a pretty powerful area it is a very powerful area. The land actually called me, called us to be here. And um, I had no connection with Virginia whatsoever. And uh, it basically, I was just called, um, called to be here and called by the mountains. And there was a group of beings when we were looking for where we might move. There was a group of beings that called us down to a waterfall as we were on this drive. And we hiked down the waterfall to the base. I'm making this like a short hike. It's not, it was like four miles and a, a kind of a strenuous hike. And we got down to the base and uh, these golden beings of light circled round. And I sat at the rock and the water was streaming. And they said, these mountains are old, but long have they lain dormant. They are opening, or they said they are awakening now. Will you help us? awaken these mountains and i felt or sensed that there was some sort of i hate the overused word in the new age community of stargate or portal but i did feel like there was some sort of connection between some particular stellar forces there and and the earth that was inactive and anyway so they um they so i just sat down and it was some of the easiest spirit work i'd ever done i really just sat down opened my heart connected with them at in a heart field at a heart level and it was just like there was just this opening that occurred and you could just feel that everything just shined a little bit more as if uh, after a spring rain or something and that was it it was five minutes <laughs> it was it was easeful it was beautiful i have no idea what i did but after that i looked at my partner i said i think we are supposed to live somewhere around here and so that was it of course we don't live that's in the shenandoah and you can't live there anymore, but um, but we have found a home tucked into the mountains and the forest, and it's very magic. That makes that makes a lot of sense. It was the mountains that called me here too. I'm I, I'm really sensitive to mountains, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I actually knew as a teenager that when I was in high school that I would end up here in Seattle or near Seattle in this area, um, but it wasn't until years later that that actually became a possibility but um yeah yeah i can i totally get that and these mountains of course are much newer they're not like you have back east yes and mountains you guys are youngins <laughs> <laughs> and i'm curious i think i read in one of your books did you mention that there was a she community connected to those mountains well i've 
yeah, when so Mariel talks about uh, that she has her working area um, on the side of a mountain, and when I when she comes here, I have a sense of her coming from as if she's traveling up from the south. I don't know why, but it's just and so I have it in my imagination that that in some way her mountain is is related to Mount Rainier, which is just south of us. Now I have I have no idea whether how true that is, whether in fact she and and the other she that she's working with are in fact connected to Mount Rainier. It wouldn't be the I mean you couldn't go physically to Mount Rainier and find a she community, you know. But right. But there is some but there is some connection there. Um, and this area is totally surrounded with mountains and it's uh, and they're all volcanic. So there's a, a strong fire energy here in the land. I have to tell you a story. So when we first moved here, um, one of the things I wanted to do was to you know, introduce myself and make some connection to the local nature spirits and the David beings. And I was thinking of this place as water. I mean, we're right near Puget Sound and we live just five minutes from a lake and lots of water in this area. And of course, uh, Washington is famous for being a rainy place. And the, the paradox is that I'm not terribly attuned to water. I'm really in, very attuned to earth. <laughs> but anyway, I'm trying to make contact and I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to tune into Puget Sound. I'm going to tune into the lake. I'm going to tune into this and that. And I just was having no luck. I just was not making any connection at all. And all at once, uh, I was aware of this really large being <laughs> standing just in back of me. And I turned and looked, and it was a kachina. I've lived, I lived for a number of years in Arizona, and, and I have just this really deep connection with the desert there. But here was this kachina, and it didn't say anything, but I felt its energy linking with mine. And suddenly I felt connected to this area. I was making the connections. I thought, well, that's really weird that here's this being that's associated with the Southwest. And here it is enabling me to make a connection here in the Northwest. But later I, I went to, a, uh, to the internet and tried to find a picture of the Kachina, uh, something that looked like this being. And I did in fact find it. And it was, um, <laughs> it was a fire being. It was a kachina associated with the element of fire. And I thought, you know, duh, of course, <laughs> this is a volcano of all this fire under the land. Of course it would be a fire being that would make the connection. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, kachina was probably a fairy being. Well, as you're talking, that's what I'm wondering. I, uh, as I, I don't have very, I don't have any personal experience with Kachina uh, beings at all. But in my just deep research, because when I'm not researching on the, you know, inner planes, I'm researching in different other people's accounts and experiences. Sure. In my research, I have come upon like the way that they describe Kachina. Of course, they don't use the word fairy. Why they wouldn't? But the way that they describe it, I have often thought that. I think that this is a fairy being. This is connected to fairy. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I thank you so much for sharing that story. I, that is a very interesting, I love that function of 
these beings coming forward, not just the Kachina, but fairy beings in general, or spirits of the land as an intermediary to key us to the voice of the land. I had that guidance when I led a group to Scotland a number of years ago. I was instructed by the spirit of the land and they said, before you do anything, bring the group to the Fer the Fortin Gaul you. Bring the group to the Fortin Gaul you. And I said, okay. And they said, the you will teach you the language of the land. And that was it. And we brought, and I brought the group to the Fort and Gaul U. And that was exactly what the U did. It was, it brought us, it, for lack of a better word, initiated us into the language of the land so that we were able to have these connections and see with different eyes that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to see with. So I love the story that you shared and comparing well, notes. So, um, but I interrupted you. You were telling me about anchoring the new Avalon there in your area. Yes, yes, yes. So I was just, as I was looking out my window and I was just like being very much drawn to the outside, I was like, maybe I'm supposed to share with David about New Avalon for, for some reason. And so I have shared on the podcast, so I'm not, uh, so I, people can go back to have the more detailed explanation and story of New Avalon if they want to, but, but just the very quick snippet is that a number of years ago I went after having moved here I was here for a couple years and then on one of my trips to Glastonbury who which was my a, a spiritual home to me for a very long time um on one of my trips I was asked invited uh by one of the powers of the land there and they said will you light the flame of the land where you are and i said well i don't know i have to talk to the spirits of the land i have to you know and of Perfect. course <laughs> you know and so they said but we are giving you the flame to light it is time for the flame of avalon to be lit in the land and of course i didn't know what any of that meant at the time but um but so i did i came back and i did the necessary you know protocols and ceremony and just connected and communed with the spirit of this land. And it seemed to be everybody was very much on board and, and very receptive to this um, I, idea. There was a complimentary energetic. So I did in, in this ceremony, I lit the flame on the inner planes of the of Avalon in the land. Well, I could have never known at that time what it really meant. But apparently the old Avalon, the, the stories of old, what what I got over time was that it was completing. There was coming to this completion after many ages that much of it had fulfilled its purpose and the dream itself was completing. And so there was this deep completion. And as that, as there was this great death and completing, there was something else, something new that was rising from like the heart, the dream vision of the earth herself. It was something new that none of us really understood or knew, but it was rising. And somehow this new dream that I call New Avalon was rising up. And this land is one of these anchor points for this, this, new, this dream, if you will, this new earth encoded dream. And so this dream begins to rise up. I have, you know, I have no control over this. I'm just a steward. And so I'm as guided, they're tending the energies and that sort of thing, like a priestess, but not really knowing or understanding it has its own will and its own um, energetic. And before I know it, it's like this great blossom that flowered from the land. And as it opened, I'm speaking metaphorically, as it opened, it called forth 
all of these beings, beings that were already here, yes, they they were part of this, but there were also beings from different places that were called forth. And there is this grand experiment happening here. So it's almost like, you know, a Finhorn, everybody was co-creating with the nature spirits and the devas, but here it's not just the nature spirits and the devas. There are, I mean, there's a huge community of she and one that has been here for a really long time that's on the side of the mountain here, of course, like you said, you couldn't find it physically, but it's anchored somehow, it's overlaid. And then, but beyond them, there are other communities of Xi. And I, the, the politics of the Xi is very beyond my understanding, but there are some. And there were other communities of Xi. And so there were beings and they were beginning to come together in partnership in ways that they hadn't. Xi from different places had not in a very long time. There was some sort of communion happening and healing there was a healing and a reconciliation happening among species so she but then also sasquatch were moving in i had no connection with sasquatch um i still don't understand these beings dragon beings were awakening and moving in and there were just all these beings and so it's like this beautiful community of these beings that are here learning to come back to come into relationship with one another it's like this experiment in relational exploration and everybody here is here because they are choosing to like express within this new earth experiment and i don't know what we're doing but we're doing something is happening and oftentimes it's happening without me (laughs) this is fascinating to me you know i definitely have run in with mario Uh, i've run in a little bit into the politics within the she realm which, as you say, can get complex, because um, not all the she are necessarily talking to each other or approving of what they're doing. So there's work that's being done there as well. But there's something very interesting in what you say, because I, as you were talking, I was getting this inner hit that um, that this was attempted a while ago, like back in the 17th century, in the 1600s, when the first English settlers came to Virginia, there was an attempt to bring the same energy there then, but it either failed or was only partially successful. At any rate, it didn't take in the way that it, um, the way that it had been hoped. <laughs> so in a way, you're awake, you're doing something that was attempted 400 years ago and didn't make it. I am so astounded that you just dropped in that puzzle piece because it's been a, there's been a, it's been in my awareness. When I first came here, there were three, I'm gonna call them factions of she that I was very aware of. And of course there's more, but but there was the she that have always been here. I'm gonna say, as far as I could feel, there were, the settlers who had actually come from the old world. And I I called them the old new Avalon She. And they had left from Avalon, from the lands, the Celtic lands long ago. I didn't know how long, I didn't have that time frame. And then of course I was in contact and communion with the old Avalon She, which were, which I could commune with telepathically and stuff, but obviously those are connected to the land over there. And so when I was here, I became aware of these three things and I knew something had happened 
that there was a um, a rift in relationship. And specifically, interestingly enough, I sense the rift was there was some misunderstanding that happened. The she that came here from the old world and then the she that are still in the old world, there was a misunderstanding and somehow the, the communication was lost between them and they didn't understand why. And there was this, there was a rift between them. And so I was, I, I didn't know all the ins and outs, but that was one of the first things I was asked to do is to just hold space and a mediation unfolded. And I just held this beautiful heart space for them. And there was this healing that, took place between these three um, these three different she factions. You bring this energy from Glastonbury, don't you? Mm hmm Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you for the settlers. That makes so much sense. It was the settlers the, that brought them in. Yeah. And tried this before. Yeah, somebody, somebody in that group carried a connect an energetic connection that as you say the she and probably others wrote in on yeah that's really wonderful it's fascinating <laughs> and i guess just like anything it, it was like it, you know i mean kind of like even the old avalon story right it's like is anything really a failure or was it just not right it wasn't time yet like the timing maybe wasn't right and whatever they did maybe created some sort of pattern or some sort of beginning pathway that then us now we were able to fully open into. And my experience in the subtle worlds is that they really love to try things out. They're great experimenters. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when it doesn't work, they still learn things. And, and they seize opportunities, you know, uh, well, this is wonderful. This, this is has been so amazing. So I am looking at the time and I do want to honor our time uh, situation. So I would love for you to share with people. Um, so two things. One, if there's any last parting words you want to share. And second, please let everybody know where they can connect with you and what you're doing in the world right now. So I'll do that. Um, it's it would be at www.lorian.org. That's L-O-R-I-A-N.org. Um, you know, um, I think the last thing I would say is probably to people is to honor yourselves, to love yourselves. You can do that. That's the foundation from which everything else flows. Thank you so much, David. This has been so wonderful, and it's really been an honor to have you in this space. Oh, this has been delicious. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for your work and for everything you do in the world. Thank you so much for joining me for this beautiful conversation. You can find the link to Lorian.org in the show notes, which is just directly in the description of wherever you're listening to this podcast. Please also remember that if you love these kinds of stories, you may want to check out my book, Initiation, My Fairy Soul Awakening, which is available in paperback as well as electronically, and it details my early spiritual journey and awakening into the fairy realms. 
I hope you have a most magical season as the solstice has just come and gone. We are now within that three-day liminal period where the sun appears to be standing still. Whether you are in the northern or southern hemisphere, from your perspective on the earth, the sun is standing still. So I offer you a blessing of love and gratitude in this sacred portal of stillness and transition. Mm -hmm.